Amen. Yes. The men who spoke on that video represent the five elders that oversee the ministry work of our church, and uh, they are a prime example of what servant leadership truly is. And so please uh, keep in prayer those elders who are serving our church in that special way. Well, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Northside, and um, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share God's word with you today. And it was eight months ago to this very date, June 26th of last year, that I got to preach a message here at Northside for the first time. And I think it's kind of cool that they let me come back. So um, I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you and to encourage you as we continue in our Quest 52 series in which we're pursuing Jesus and all that he has in store for us. And last week, Jacob Bales uh, preached a wonderful message in which he addressed this question, did Jesus have a life purpose? And we, we learned, yes, he did. His purpose, he said, was to, to give us life and life to the full. That the, the enemy um, comes to steal and kill and destroy, and yet Jesus said, I came that they might have life and life to the full. Jesus also said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And what we learned last week was that if we will see like Jesus sees, we'll live like Jesus lives. And so what does that mean for our purpose? What does that mean for our life? Well, it means, first of all, we are going to embrace that full life that Jesus desires for us. I love how the New Living Translation words it says, a rich and satisfying life. And perhaps for some of you, you that's a very uh, fundamental question. What does God want for my life? He wants good things for you. Not easy things, not painless things, but he wants you to experience a rich and satisfying life. God's desire is not to hold you under his thumb. It's not to keep you from all of the good things you would otherwise get to experience. The Lord who made you loves you and wants you to experience a life to the full with him. And what that also means for our purpose is that we too are seeking out those who are far from him. As a church, that's our mission to connect the unconnected to Jesus. As individual followers of Jesus, we're mindful of and looking for opportunities to point others around us to him. And so last week, we really talked about the what of purpose, Jesus's purpose and ours. And today, I want to talk with us a little bit about the how. How did Jesus carry out the purpose to which he was called and as a result, how can we learn from Jesus about what it looks like for us to carry out our purpose as well? And before I get too much further in my message, I do have to issue a disclaimer um, that today's sermon is brought to you by the letter P. Um, there's going to be an unhealthy amount of alliteration today, okay? And I'm just, this is sorry, not sorry on the front end. I grew up as a PK, a preacher's kid. My dad preached for decades. Um, I served as lead pastor at another congregation prior to coming to Northside, and there's some things that I just can't shake, and one of them is alliteration. So there it is, there's the disclaimer, and here we go, buckle up. Today I want to talk about the pathway of purpose. As we consider this journey that we're on in pursuit of Jesus, as we consider this quest that we've collectively gathered for as a congregation, what does that pathway look like? And what are some distinctives along the way that were present in Jesus's life and that will also be present in ours? And so we're gonna take a look at three things, three elements of the pathway of purpose that Jesus experienced. And we're gonna see that those same three elements are present in our own as well. 
And here's what's true at the outset, that if we're going to live a life of purpose, we're going to have to do it on purpose. So this following Jesus faithfully thing isn't just going to happen uh, naturally or accidentally. It's going to require intentionality. If we're going to live lives of purpose, we're going to have to do it on purpose. And to illustrate this a bit, I wonder if you might be willing to engage in just a little bit of audience participation today. Uh, I want to ask a, a few questions of you and uh, allow you to respond. Which of these, I'm going to give you a couple of options, which of these happen without any work whatsoever? Okay, which of these happen without any work whatsoever? A bed full of flowers or a lawn full of weeds? Weeds, thank you, yes. Those daggone dandelions, they're self-starters. You don't have to do a whole lot to get weeds in your lawn, right? Bed full of flowers, that takes a little bit of work. Which of these happens without any work? Six-pack abs or Dunlop's disease? And for those of you who are unfamiliar with that uh, ailment, Dunlop's disease is when your belly Dunlops over your belt, okay? That, I can attest, does not take any work, really. And cameraman, please do not zoom on my midsection at this moment, okay? Uh, Six-pack abs take a little more work. All right, how about this one? Which of these happens without any work? A plus grades or a 13% in Mrs. Eby's trigonometry class senior year? Right, and that's oddly specific, right? <laughs> I can assure you it takes no work whatsoever to finish with a 13% in Mrs. Eby's trig class. Switching gears just a little bit, which of these happens without any work? Thoughts that are pure or a mind that's in a getter? It's not hard to think about the worst. Finally, which one of these happens without any work? A marriage marked by peace or a marriage marked by conflict? Um, I can tell you and my wife can attest that it takes very little effort on my part to drive her crazy. Uh, in the worst of ways. <laughs> Conflict is the natural order of things in our relationships. What takes hard work is a relationship that's marked by peace. And the same is true as you and I consider what God is calling us to. And as we enter into this pathway of purpose, seeking to follow Jesus wherever he leads, it's going to take some hard work. It's going to take some intentionality. We're going to have to do some things on purpose. And so how do we get there? How do we do that? Well, we're going to take a look at the master Jesus and we're going to learn from him. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open those up to the book of Mark chapter 10, whether you have a print Bible or a digital on your phone. This is a great opportunity to get cover for checking your Twitter feed if I'm boring you. So if your Bible's on your phone, it's all good. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, discovering how Jesus carried out the purpose to which he was called. And we begin with these words. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. I want to pause for just a moment and ask uh, a fairly simple question. When it comes to your following of Jesus, this quest, this journey that you're on, what is the predominant emotion that you're feeling right now? Perhaps like the disciples, you, you're, 
You're feeling awe and wonder at what God is doing. Perhaps like those who are following Jesus, you are feeling overwhelmed with fear for some reason. You don't know what's next. You know what's next and, and you're afraid of doing that thing because it's, it's gonna be difficult. What's the predominant emotion as you seek to follow Jesus today? And I think there's something that we can learn here that's relatively subtle. That while the disciples and those who are following Jesus were feeling awe and wonder and fear, it was understandable that they were feeling that way, but their feelings were misplaced. And let me explain. The disciples were in awe. They were full of wonder because they had seen the amazing things that Jesus had done. And they were convinced as they traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration that this was the moment that Jesus was going to be crowned king of Israel to overthrow Roman opposition and to establish his earthly reign. And the disciples were in the inner circle, were going to be a part of the royal court, and they were so excited at what they thought was coming in the next few days. And then this whole other group of people who were overwhelmed with fear were understandably overwhelmed by fear because they knew in the city of Jerusalem were people who hated Jesus. They knew that conflict was coming and that opposition was waiting for them in that city. And so it makes sense that they would feel the way that they felt. And yet we know the rest of the story. We know that the disciples' wonder in that moment specifically was misplaced because Jesus didn't come just to establish an earthly reign. He came to conquer the grave and become king of heaven for all people for all time. It was way better than they thought it was going to be. And at the same time, while Jesus would face opposition and while their fear was warranted, Jesus would overcome the grave and become the high king of heaven, their fear would not last long. And I think, friends, today what we can learn from this is that whether you're in awe of what God is doing in your life or overwhelmed by fear about what's next, God's plan is better. It's better than the best you could imagine and it's far better than the worst that you've assumed. God is faithful. He's in control. And as we follow Jesus, he leads us faithfully to the good things he's promised to us. We pick up at the rest of verse 32. We read, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. I want to share the first element on this pathway of purpose that Jesus experienced and that you and I will as well, and it's this. It is the pursuit. The pursuit. You will not live out your purpose without passion and intentionality. Jesus knew what was coming, 
In fact, the final pursuit to the calling that the father had placed on his life is often referred to as the passion, the passion of the Christ that simply refers to suffering. Jesus was not naive. He was not unaware. He knew exactly what awaited him in that city of Jerusalem. And yet I love what verse 32 says. He was walking ahead of them. He wasn't dragging his feet. He wasn't avoiding the inevitable. He was in pursuit of that which he had been called to. And the same is true for you and I, that our purpose requires an active pursuit. That's why I love this Quest 52 journey that we're on as we collectively commit ourselves to following Jesus and exploring further what it looks like to be faithful to him as he has been faithful to us. We're on a quest. We're on a journey of discovery of the goodness and faithfulness of God. But that is an active pursuit. It won't happen by accident. There's not a faith by osmosis where you can just show up and sit in church and you're going to become faithful. I'm glad you're here, but there's more. And what's also true is that as we, we pursue what God has called us to, there will be opposition. I think we can characterize that opposition in, in a couple of ways. One is internal opposition and the other is external opposition. Internal opposition is what in all transparency, I'm experiencing right this very moment as I share God's word with you. I know that this is part of God's purpose for my life. I've been called and invited in this moment to share his word with you. And yet in my own mind and heart are the thoughts of somebody could be doing this better. Somebody could be funnier. Somebody could be more clear. Someone has more maturity and wisdom. And it's only by the faithfulness of God that I can trust by his spirit that he will allow me to stand in the face of that internal opposition. Is there anybody here who can relate to me in that you're often your own worst enemy? Anybody else? Yeah, amen. I'm thankful that we have a God who gives us everything we need to do even if we're convinced we don't have what it takes. And at the same time, there will be external opposition. And this is a good opportunity to remind ourselves that we have an enemy who is very real and who does not want us to pursue the purpose to which we've been called. Scripture says our, our battle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against things that are unseen. And so if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we're going to have to recognize that it's not going to be easy, and we're going to have to be active, intentional in our pursuit of what God has for us. And yet in that same vein of opposition, this second element was present in Jesus' pathway to purpose. It will be present in our own, and it's this, it is the pain you will not live out your purpose without a few scars to show for it. Jesus certainly did not. In verse 35 of our text, we read this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. 
What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with a baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. There is a, a myth that following Jesus is a path that always leads up and to the right. That yeah, you might have some rough uh, moments along the way. When it's all said and done, you're just going to keep getting better and better and things are going to get better and better. And here's the truth, friends, that embracing Jesus's purpose for your life doesn't just involve suffering, it requires it. And when Jesus asks James and John if they're able to drink the cup of suffering that he'll drink, they say, yes, we are able. And Jesus' response is, you're right, you are going to suffer. And yet that wasn't Jesus' only option. Jesus could have responded to James and John by saying, are you kidding me? You don't have a clue. What you're going to endure is nothing compared to what I'm about to go through. And yet he didn't respond that way. He could have responded very differently and Jesus could have replied to them and said, you know what, guys, it's gonna be fine. I'm Jesus, I love you. You know, don't, don't worry about pain and suffering. It's, it's, it's all gonna work out, it's gonna be just fine. And yet Jesus doesn't respond either way. He says, yes, you are going to suffer. In fact, church history tells us that James was one of the earliest martyrs among the disciples. We know that John suffered in exile as a result of following Jesus. They would indeed suffer. And Jesus didn't sugarcoat that because here's the truth. On the pathway of purpose, pain is a promise. You know, sometimes modern Christianity gets a, a bad rap for lacking substance. Some believe that our faith is all sunshine and rainbows and it's all about love. Squishy doesn't really mean much for the real world. And while it is true that God is love and that the hallmark characteristic of his followers is love primarily for one another, how many of you know that love isn't easy? And I don't mean to meddle, but I do want to ask a few questions. I wonder if there's anyone here who's ever been wounded by a friend that they loved. Is there anyone here who, who's ever been wounded by a spouse? Anyone here who has been wounded by an enemy or someone who just did not care for you no matter what you did or didn't do? And I hate to even ask the question, but I wonder if there's anyone here who's ever been wounded by the church or someone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus. 
Let me ask you, friends, which of those groups does the Lord call us to love? Yeah, all of them. Our friends and our enemies, our spouse, our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to love people who often wound us. And we know the shoe goes on the other foot as well, that we are guilty often of the same. But the truth is that that pain is not an option. Suffering is not a maybe, but it's a requirement. I hate that I love this quote so much, but I do. The great theologian Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. God has a great, great plan for your life. But you will get punched in the mouth a few times along the way. And it's not an indication that you're doing anything wrong. It's not a sign that you're out of favor with the Father. Truth is, if you're bruised and bleeding a little, you're probably doing it right. Don't give up. Don't let pain veer you off course from the plan that God has for your life. He's faithful and he'll carry you through it. And by the way, this is not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and figure it out. God has made a way through his Holy Spirit to empower us and he's created this beautiful thing called the church that allows us to lock arms with brothers and sisters who can carry our burdens when they're too great for us to carry on our own. You've made it to the final P, I promise. Here we go, number three. The third element in this pathway of purpose is the posture. Is the posture that we assume as we carry out our calling, because this is true, you will not live out your purpose without embracing humility. That is to say, you will not live out your purpose the way God desires and intends for you to without embracing a posture of servant leadership, of humility. And in verse 41 in our text, as we pick it back up, we read this. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant Mind you, not because they thought it was inappropriate, but because James and John beat them to the punch, okay? And so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, it will be different. Not I'd like it to be different, Not would you consider doing this differently, but among my followers who are truly filled with my spirit, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm gonna pause and and issue a confession. I love being first. Does anybody else love winning? 
I'm a big fan of that, okay? I had an amen last hour. I think there are a few that are like me out there. Um, And because I love winning so much, I am uh, pleased and proud to announce to you today that I am New Albany Little League's newest t-ball coach for this spring season. Thank you. Thank you. Our son Judah, he's four, he's eligible, and we're ready to rock and roll. And I'm going to live vicariously through him on the diamond this season. We've got five kids already. What's five more on a ball field, right? It'll be fine. Um, But I grew up playing baseball in Little League and loved it so much. I had a couple of nicknames at that time. At home, my nickname for my family was Big A. Pretty self-explanatory. My mom said I was husky. I don't think that was a compliment. Um, But I was a big kid, and I outpaced my peers. And so that showed up on the ball field, and so I was kind of bigger, faster, stronger for a period of time. I was a pitcher and uh, was able to throw the ball pretty hard. And I was nearsighted. I wore glasses during the day, but on the mound, I wore rec specs. I don't know if you know what those are. Recreational spectacles. They struck fear in my enemy's eyes on the ball field. And so when people didn't know my name, they called me rec specs. And so I had a good go of it for several years until everybody else caught up. And by the time I reached my freshman year of high school, um, that had lost its luster. And I wasn't even a starter at that point. And I remember vividly this moment where my team was on the field playing defense. I was in the uh, dugout chewing sunflower seeds because that's uh, the skill set that I was most proficient at at that point. And we were struggling, we were losing, and specifically my teammate Eric was on the mound and he was struggling with his pitching. And as I chewed and spit those sunflower seeds, I was mumbling and grumbling about how poor of a job he was doing. And I'll never forget my coach, Coach Ken Reebok said, McClary, if you think you can do better, get your glove. And he called timeout and he put me on the mound. And in that moment, I had an opportunity to embrace humility, shall I say. I didn't even make it through the inning. Coach called timeout again and pulled me out. And I learned my lesson that day that while it's, it's all right to want to win, it's unhealthy. And in our pursuit of Jesus, it's ungodly when we have a win at any costs mentality. But I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say. I think it's pretty profound. Jesus doesn't say, whoever wants to be first among you shouldn't want that. You're actually arrogant and prideful and you need to check your heart and change your ways. Jesus doesn't say that. What he says is, whoever wants to be first among you gets there by serving others. The Lord wants you to win at what he's called you to. He wants you to to walk this pathway of purpose in a way that leads to good fruit. He's promised that. It's his desire for our lives. And yet, the danger is that we'll be tempted to win at all costs. To do it in a way that doesn't honor him or bless the people around us. And Jesus... The sovereign Messiah, the king of the world, could have assumed any posture that he wanted to assume. 
And yet he chose a posture of humility and service. He chose a posture that led him to wash his disciples' feet and then allow his own to be nailed to the cross. He was the epitome of servant leadership and made clear for us the truth that the ends do not justify the means. And I I hope this is a word of encouragement for you to know that God does not view you as just a, a pawn in some cosmic game of spiritual chess. His desire is not just to use you for what he can get out of you to accomplish what he wants to and then be done with you. It's not how he rolls. And we see that best in Jesus. That when he could have done it anyway, he chose a humble way. And so you and I, as we walk this pathway of purpose, pursuing the good plans that God has for us, we must embrace the posture of a servant, even as Jesus did. And so... In an opportunity for application, I just want to ask you, which of these elements of the pathway of purpose that you and I are on, which of these need your attention most today? Perhaps for some of you, if you are self-reflective enough, you can acknowledge that you have not been in an active pursuit of Jesus. You've been interested You've hoped that it might just happen naturally. Or if you're just around good enough people, it'll leak out into your life. But perhaps you know today you need to be more active in your pursuit of Jesus. Take that next step, whatever it is. Perhaps for you, the issue that may cause you to deviate from God's call in your life is the pain. Maybe for some of you, you're even right in the thick of that in this very moment. And you know that this is a defining moment that, that if, if you allow it to, that pain will keep you from taking hold of the promise that God has for you. Take that pain before him today. Ask him to redeem it. Ask him to give you what you need to Stand up under it. He'll be faithful. Or maybe today you recognize that there's an issue with your posture. That you're, you're doing the right things, but you're not doing them for the right reason. That if you're honest, you've had a whatever it takes, when it all costs mentality to accomplish what's been set before you. And today is an opportunity to recalibrate to remember how Jesus served. And as we enter into a time of communion, it's a perfect opportunity for us to reflect on just that, that the the Son of God, the Savior of the world, came and made a way, not through pomp and circumstance, not through authoritative earthly rule, but through submission to the Father's plan for his life and humility that walked him right to the cross. Philippians chapter two says this, you must 
have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Take a moment just now with these emblems that represent his blood that was shed and his body that was bruised and beaten and ultimately hung on a cross. Take this moment to go before the Father, thanking him for what he's done for you and asking him to do in this moment and moving forward what only he can do. Let's take communion together. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful for who you are, for what you've done, for what you yet will do as we trust and yield ourselves to you. So grateful for every man, woman, and child here today who you have made, who you love, and who you have a good, good plan for. May they trust you in their pursuit of you. May they trust you in the midst of their pain. And may their posture honor you as they humble themselves, as Jesus humbled himself for your glory and for our good. You are faithful and kind. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this in his beautiful and powerful name.